So hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Coderance Talks, the podcast where we talk all things technology, software development, and craftsmanship. I am Jose Huerta uh, on LinkedIn and Twitter, and I'll be your host for today's session. Today is a great day, and I hope you're all thinking the same thing, because we're going to be talking about something essential to doing great work in most organizations, from service to product companies, from small businesses to multinational enterprise. At the core of delivering great products and services, there's the same thing, exceptional teams. Teams that are motivated, that are skilled, that are driven, and I think we all agree that without them, it wouldn't be possible to do great work. And to talk about why, what, and the how, uh, how to achieve this holy grail in our organizations and what that elusive formula looks like for what we would call a, a, a dream team, uh, we have three very special guests today. It is my pleasure to be joined by Rishali Parikh. Uh, hi, Rishali. So Rishali is a co-founder of Incubite, uh, a consultancy firm that embraces agile and extreme programming practices as a way to help their clients deliver great software uh, overseas. We also have Masik Durkivich. Um, I don't know if I'm butchering your last name. Sorry about that. Just nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's one of our craft people here at Kadirans, and besides his knowledge of you know, computer science and building products in retail, bioinformatics, healthcare, uh, Masik also uh, has a background in psychology. Uh, Magic, if I'm not mistaken, you've also recently done a, a, a group of talks, uh, a group of talks on uh, teamwork and and this kind of subject. Uh, is that right? Yeah. So, so that was primarily actually on soft skills in, in this sort of like confined of, of software development. So we generally talks about you know what, what sort of more of a personal attributes or sort of non technical aspects are quite relevant and crucial within the confines of, of software engineering and the whole process, et cetera, and how it's actually critical. So we sort of try to build the whole case around this, highlight the importance of it, because when you think about it, there there actually most of the funding for training and the focus on training, everything is, you know, on the solid sort of very specific technical aspects. And everything else is sort of like all forgotten. But yeah, I could go on for, for a while on about this. Let's not go there. Yeah. Well, uh, no, don't worry. If you haven't, if if you're interested in knowing more about this topic, which is very much related to what we're going to be talking about today, uh, don't forget to go to the Kajurian's YouTube channel. Uh, those things are recorded there, so you, you're more than welcome to go and check them out. And last but not least, we have Francisco Avila. Uh, he's uh, right now an engineering manager at Badger Maps and for a very long time now, an agile consultant. Uh, and as part of his work, he's had to help more than a few organizations and CTOs uh, from both big and you know small companies uh, to not only introduce change, but also create that environment you know, where people can do their best work you know, and, and adopt new uh, uh, practices and new ways of working to enable all of that. Uh, so I'm very happy to have you all here uh, today. How are you doing? Very well, Jose. Thanks for that introduction. This this topic is obviously very close to our hearts and uh, we'll have a lot to talk about for sure. 
so I've, let's let's start at the beginning because I've noticed that uh, there sometimes is some misconception or confusion about what a team is. Now, people tend to think that, you know, you grab a group of people and put them together and call them a team and suddenly by magic, no, it just happens that, that we have a team. So let's start there. What What is, in your opinion, uh, what constitutes a team in your opinion? So let's see, uh, Rushali, would you, would you like to start? Sure. So there's obviously several things that make a team, right? One is the right set of skills, of course, that being the first thing. So you want a team with diverse skill sets. And since we're specifically talking about a dev team, right? The the idea that the team should own everything from, uh, from design to development to delivery and not have silos, that makes a good team from a topology standpoint. So having... Um, you know, not only developers in a team, but also the product owners and the and the testers as part of the same team moving towards the same goal, which is releasing successful software products, right? So a, a set of skill sets working towards a common goal where each person though has their own individual responsibility. So that's kind of the textbook uh, answer to that. But of, of course, there's a humane aspect of, of that as well, uh, which I could probably let uh, Mac or Fran talk about. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty much uh, aligned with uh, Rushali for me, a team. We are talking about teams, not great teams, right? So <laughs> just talking as what is a team? For me, it's just a, a group of people that are needed to achieve a goal and they are trying to achieve something together. So that for me is the most simple uh, uh, definition of a team, a group of people trying to achieve something. And uh, then is <laughs> how uh, that team uh, uh, can become a great team or, or what are the, the things needed to make that something that is uh, achieving the goal in a great way or what are the, the parameters that you have in consideration? I, I don't know. I, I think on top of everything, everything that you already said, like, like I was thinking like the other day generally about you know, why we even have teams and everything. And, and, and you have teams because, you know, you have tasks that are too complex to do like by yourself as a single person. And basically the, the team should be able to be like this, like Ubermensch sort of thing. So team is, should be act like a single person, but with many limbs and many brains, but working in sync. And I think many things that apply to your sort of like personal, like, going for a certain goal they apply for a team but you need this sort of like layer of this sort of uh i don't know collective consciousness sort of thinking going around them uh, but i don't know i just found it a pretty interesting concept when you think about the teams is to think about this sort of collective something that they have that they should act as a single person to do something that you know a single person wouldn't be able to do that's why we have them in the first place yeah that's that's there's one aspect that uh, i think hasn't been completely mentioned uh, and i think it's relevant because it's not just for me it's not just about uh, having a common goal Right. But it's also about that interdependence, right? Like that idea of, you know, everyone needs to contribute in order to reach that goal. And it doesn't, it doesn't make sense if, you know, I can reach the goal, but you can't, right? Like we either, you know, all succeed or all fail. Right. And that I think is an important aspect, right? Especially because you tend to find these things now that there are just a, a group of people working together, but they all have the, the all the people 
think it's the same goal. They're not entirely the same goal, if you know what I mean. So, and I feel that goes a little bit against what uh, what we all understand. Uh, I would say uh, as a team, no. Yeah, and uh, but I I put it that as a dysfunction in the team because uh, I'm I'm pretty sure that we are always have been working in teams that we say yeah actually these three members are totally not needed for the team but they're still part of the team <laughs> so because as the same that we have great teams with a, a great characteristic that we also have teams that are bad teams because they are lack of something to to succeed or or they are not needed or they are not cooperating or they are not having the same goal so i think that there are teams too but really bad teams (laughs) that also need to be addressed so what makes a a great team no a dream team if you if you will like what what would you say is like you know okay for me if if you don't mind that i just jump on that uh for me is uh a group of people that are individuals, so they they have the consideration as a team, but also as individuals. Uh, So they don't lose themselves just because they are part of the team. That they have that common goal that they are trying to reach, that they have something that is bigger than the goal, some kind of mission that they compel themselves to make something great, that they have the capacity to celebrate the success together but also the capacity to suffer together when the things are not happening as expected or they need to push harder together that the, i think that the two key aspects is that they need to help each other so if you are with a group of people that they are suffering and you cannot help you are disconnected from that team to, to be part of the dream team you need to help in any way because there's always ways to help. And finally, for me, the key aspect is that everyone and they as a team are honest. If you are not honest, if you are not clear with each other and you are you are hiding things and it's it's just it doesn't work. But for a dream team, the the, the best dream teams that I've worked with, it was the most uh, open, uh, honest and uh, facing conflicts in an honest way. And that was what made the team progress. That's very well said, Fran. And and I was I was just going to rephrase that and say pretty much the same thing in my own language as well, which is, um, you know, as long as their individual goals are aligned with the team goals, it, it makes a great team, right? So if everyone has the same ideology and everyone wants to work as, let's say, if we believe in a software craftsmanship mindset, um, if there's one person even who does not believe in that mindset and who has their own agendas and or, or they are not aware of the mindset, right? Even that, even a lack of education for that matter, might make that person misaligned with the team goal. Um, even that is a recipe for quite not failure, I'd say. That's, that's too strong a word, but uh, unease in the team. Um, so having a common a common ideology, having a common goal, which is aligned with your own personal goal would probably make a great team in my opinion. I'm a simple person, <laughs> simple needs. 
and, and I don't know. It's it feels like the dream team. Like all of the recipes that you see in different places, they are quite complex. Uh, and one thing that we know, sort of, sort of like around complex or you know, like multi-stage recipes, like there's there's a lot of space for failure in there, and there are sometimes too unachievable. Like when you try to cook something awesome and you just open a cookbook and you see a recipe on several pages, like you ain't gonna cook it, you ain't gonna do it. And uh, you know, even though it's out there, it's just too complex. And, and for me, actually, I, I think the dream team sort of like starts with sort of like one sort of crucial ingredient, and, and, and it's actually a leader. I know we probably touch on leadership and everything at some point later, but I think it actually starts with a sort of like brain-like structure in there to be able to say the left hand go like that and the right hand, you know, do the other thing and then legs go forward. And then you can start to sort of like bumble around and do something. Otherwise you're just sort of like flopping without a purpose. So I would just, I would just go simple and just put a, a, a leadership of some sort, whether it's formalized, unformalized, something to sort of be able to start to do stuff at least very early on. Because, I mean, you can't deny that leadership has an impact on, on all of these things, right? But uh, but to what extent, you know? Uh, and, but yeah, that's a, that's a good uh, point. We'll, we'll talk more about that. I think just to, to add a bit more on that is, uh, and this is based, you know, Richard Haxman's research on, on teams and, you know, uh, uh, I think it's uh, Peter Hawkins and some others, right? Like there are there is agreement that there is a few things there that need to be happening, right? Whether you call it one way or another, things like, you know, they need to be constantly learning about, you know, themselves, how to improve and that kind of stuff. Uh, they need to have a clear uh, focus, direction, uh, understanding of who, you know, they're serving or who they are trying to, you know, what it is that they're trying to fulfill and, and for whom they have uh, to have, they need to have great skills for uh, collaborating internally and and actually you know making that work happen no um and and to some extent you know it, it's called differently in different places and so on but there's also another aspect of you know can you have a, a real team without the context for it to happen right like if you have a great team in in a, a poor context on a poor organization where they're constantly having to fight against uh you know the things that they're trying to achieve and so on does that impact uh, or, or does that make them less of a dream team what do you think yes <laughs> uh, context is everything context yeah. is everything uh, i'll go back to cooking like you know, depending on the kitchen that you have, like if you're cooking on the on in the in the woods on on the, on the open fire, you will not be able to cook the same thing. And you know, the same with the teams. Like if you have a great people, they'll be great for a certain context. But I, I think context is everything in, in certain scenarios, and you have to tailor your team for a specific context if you're tailoring a team. Uh, and I don't know. I, I can't imagine like. And a universal team that would go anywhere and they'll be like, yep, that's fine. Yeah, we can do it. That's no problem. Like, what's all I mean? That's like, it's, it, it, you have. So the question becomes dream, dream team for what? No, <laughs> basically, no. Like, what is it that, we, that they're going to be doing? No, what is it that, yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. And Jose, not only just what is it that they're, sorry, Mac, to cut you off. 
but I was gonna I was gonna jump in and say not only what it is that they're gonna do, but also where are they gonna do it? Are they gonna be working remotely? You know, the dream team working remotely might be a different team than the dream team in in an office environment. So the environment as well um, plays a big role with people's personalities online as well as in person. Yeah. So if if we then move a, a little bit forward, then um, so how do you go about about doing that? How let's say that you you have a you know blank canvas, no, and and you're you're giving this opportunity. So let's put together a team, or let's let's sort of like build or develop uh, that team without any constraints. How will you go about doing that? Is there an answer to that? <laughs> That's interesting. Uh, but the majority of the time, you don't have the, bl- the the blank canvas, and that's the problem. I mean, starting from the scratch is great. <laughs> oh, you have a green field, but it doesn't happen. So <laughs> no, but I think that if if uh, I need to start for a place, is always for me the selection process. So if if you can start from the scratch, just pick the right people, pick people that has. Uh, uh, the mindset of collaborate, the mindset of of uh, uh, push together, the mindset to share, the mindset of uh, uh, being versatile and jump from one role to the other to help each other. So do the right selection, but sometimes you don't have the opportunity to, <laughs> to select because people is already there. And yeah, that's another scenario. So, But for me, the starting point is the selection process. Absolutely. And, and especially, you know, being in a country like India, right, there are so many software developers here. I mean, every other person is a software de- developer pretty much. But um, he, and there's so many outsourcing companies as well, which which hire people in the thousands and uh, do a lot of software development, maybe not following the right practices, but that's what's prevalent. So. Um, in terms of selection, it becomes even more critical to select for having the right skill set, the ability for these people to do really good quality work and hire people who are um, interested in learning, interested in growing um, and just filtering out people who are not following the same mindset. That itself becomes um, very, very difficult, but also critical to having this dream, dream team. That's that's interesting now because a lot of the hiring processes no are focused on you know the technical skill set or the tech no like the or the technology that you're going to be using and so on right but these things have a big impact right like we before we were talking about leadership we were talking about soft skills and so on and very few processes uh, when it comes to you know software development and they're not, they tend to look at this, or at least they, they look at it very superficially, no? don't you think? Yeah, uh, there's a massive amount of plus three years in JavaScript uh, <laughs> uh, people looking for that. And this is, yeah, that's, I think that this is something that uh, doesn't add any value or helping anything to recruit someone that is a, a good asset for the team. Uh, or, you know, the kind of uh, the typical really complex algorithm 
just to filter, compare with. Uh, I mean, it's, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's good, right? To have someone that can solve that problems, but uh, there's a lot of places that there's zero effort to look for other things, for other kind of skills. Uh, I remember working in in one company that uh, um, we were looking for. <laughs> How did that go? And. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was like, what, what is that? Well, yeah, we're looking for the oomph, the, the, this extra thing that, that not everyone has, this extra thing that is pushing for. And uh, and uh, it was it was uh, the, the conversation with the people that we were doing the recruitment was like weird. <laughs> no, but you need to put something because we need to filter for what kind of language that person use or what kind of... No, 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 this is not what we are looking for. We are looking for the oomph. <laughs> and you you just remind me reminded me of you know the interns i think it's called the movie where these guys go to google now and and they're like oh the google the, the googliness, the googliness. No, the, like that extra thing around you know the culture the attitude you know, that that mix of uh, things what do you think is is so hard or what do you think not that many companies you know, go for, oh, we need whatever the, their version of oomph, no, uh, means, no. Why do you think that's not happening? I, I don't want to jump again, Mac, please. Yeah, before we go there, I see that there's one one step that sort of is happening at this sort of like selection, if you want to sort of go this very like weird, almost jank-like level. But it's it's rarely that the selection process is like a, a it's a two-way road, where we select, you know, you want to select people and those like cherry pick this stuff, but but it's it's really the, the other way around when we allow people to actually select us as well at the same time. I think that this is where the mismatch comes in because, you know, I, I, I'm pretty sure I could fake pretty much any quality I I, I would think the, the 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 recruiter wants from me, and I think people are pretty good at it as well. Like you want me to be a team player? Goddamn! Yeah, I'll 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 tell you I am a very good team player, and I'll be able to tailor a story, you know, like on the spot. I think this is the part when you sort of you also say, you know, like, you know, to what extent would you actually like to do that? Because you know, we're searching for someone that does this, 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 and that. You're not it, but is this your aspiration to go there? And I I think I would much rather have people who are underskilled. But are, are like, yeah, I want to be this. I, I really want to do that. Or I'm already here and I want to stay where I am. And if this is what I want as well, and if, if, if this sort of aligns on both sides, so both people sort of go like, yes, let's do it, rather than you trying to you know, impress me. Uh, then I think it's, it's, it's more, you're more likely in line to actually start building that team. Because the, the building should go from both sides, not, not, you know, not, not just one side. So right now, how we present it as a like very single-sided process, where you know we recruit people to do our job, and they're just you know people that we cherry pick, and it, it sh I think it should work both ways. Like they should also be like part of this building from the very beginning. Yeah, totally. But uh, in some moment, you need to start. We were talking about starting from the scratch, and and if there's no people, that people need to come in some way. And uh, I think that the the probably it's about how we think in selection. For me, the selection process is not uh, something that you make in a really quick way 
that do a half an hour phone screening and then one hour of uh, technical thing and another one hour of uh, of uh, a personal interview and that's all. And then you make a. For me, it's a. I think that that is a process that requires a massive amount of investment for both parts to make that work. So, for example, one thing that that uh, I uh, just just to put the most recent example, working with Badger, how I one of the things that I was asking for the selection process was I want to spend one day in the office. I want to meet everyone that I will work with. I want to do what I'll do regularly with them because it's, it's how you you show yourself what you can do, but also what you see the reality. It's not that, as you say, you can fake in one hour anything. But if you have to, for example, with other other company, the selection process that we have, that was, okay, you come one day as a developer and you will be one day working in that team, baiting with the guys. Fake six hours of programming is really difficult. <laughs> At the end, you see if it's comfortable painting, what are the the, the um, trends that has when he's doing something, how easily he argue or how difficult make the thing. So I think that it requires to dedicate a lot of time for both sides because also as an, as an employee, you want to be in the right place. And as an employer, you want to have the, the right employee. So both sides require that massive amount of to minimize because even if you fake it, it always can go wrong, and that's why we have the uh, probation period and something to address when we made that that kind of mistakes. But uh, uh, as much time we invest to select the right people, that kind of deviation is is less. I don't know if if I explain a bit more myself of how I see the selection process and why. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I want to add something to that as well, because Incubite was born during COVID. Okay, it was born a month before COVID really hit and we ended up being a remote company. So you toss out of the door, you know, the in-person interviews, obviously, which are so critical. Um, you know, traditionally, we've really relied on those. Um, but then what do we do with our selection process? How do we replicate that? Right. And um we batted around a lot of things internally and narrowed down on starting with a technical assessment, which the person has to take. So that's where your time commitment comes in, right? And uh, what we noticed is the people who take the assessment are the people who've spent enough time to learn about our com company, to learn about the culture, and only if they're committed to it, will they take the test, right? So that itself is a good filter for uh, finding, Mac, as you said, the people who, who really think alike um so that was an interesting uh, initial gateway and um you know we constantly have this debate with with our recruiters where they say hey but no there are so many people who are not taking the assessment maybe we should be calling all those people first and maybe we should be doing something else first as opposed to just shoving this assessment down their throat but uh, at the end of the day it's it's that match which this assessment helps us get you know I would say that there's also this uh, this aspect of um, you know doing a technical test that you can you know have a, a kind of like a 
checkbox kind of list now that I have to go through and more or less based on that sort of like assess the the, the test, no, the result of that test. But when we're talking about, uh, you know, soft skills, we're talking about, you know, emotional intelligence or, you know, leadership or this kind of thing, like it becomes a bit more difficult to to assess that in a way that is sort of like reliable or consistent. It will also require um, people doing the interviews to have uh, a different uh, skill set uh, as well. No, and uh, and to some extent, I think that that's also something that influences whether it gets done or not. Although it is happening anyway, because when you're you know when you're pairing with someone, when you're you are you know part of the question that, that we're asking is, would I like to work with this person? Right? Like, does, do I see this person fitting within the culture and so on? Right? Uh, and you're sort of by interacting with them, you're getting this feedback, no, and and trying to 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 answer your own question right and assess if, if that's the case no um but then how do you make that a standard process because that's very much interviewer dependent no that's that's depends on who you're pairing with depends on who is interviewing you no and i feel that's uh that's also a, an aspect that makes it you know a bit more difficult so what do you do if you are already working with a team and you want that team to be as successful as, as possible, right? Like what do you want to take, what if you want to take them to the next uh, level of, of, of teamwork and of, you know, cohesion and, and so on? I think that's always a moving target, <laughs> right? No matter where you are in your journey, you'll always want um to reach the next the next milestone of the team working cohesively together so um it's 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 where you know obviously there's there's many cookie cutter approaches like you throw in coaching sometimes you throw in um you know mob sessions sometimes and and it depends on where the team currently is in their journey uh around what sort of things you do with the team and I'm talking purely from a managerial perspective here, right? Not as a member of the team myself. Yeah, I was uh, referring the uh, point of uh, um, you need to know where you are, where are you going? And for me, the, the first question is, is that working? So if we continue doing what we are doing, will we arrive to that place? Do we need to start to change things? So I think that... that the, uh, awareness for every team member is needed. That all of us we need to realize, yeah, that thing is working, but we need to improve X, Y, Z, or or yeah, but we have I have this lack of knowledge in that area that I need to to achieve something. Because sometimes we are not even aware of what's the situation. We are not even picturing what how we want to operate as a team. Or why we need to operate in that way? Why is that needed? Maybe I don't care. I'm just working my day by day, and that's all. I, I, it's working for me, but it's not working for what you want to achieve. So starting from where you are, where you want to go, and uh, is that working? I think that is the beginning to have that awareness. Yeah, there, there's an aspect there of you know when you being working in certain way for a very long time no you you sort of become numb 
sometimes no like you you forget about you know i don't know what is it that made me join this company in the first place right like what is it that you know i'm passionate about and what is that i want to do and uh, the, all those things no and i feel that a uh, you know for a team to become the best team that it can be those things need to be aligned you know the the whole needs to be aligned with the, with those individual drives or individual motivations right and starting uh, to to let's say uh, energize those no or like like bring in you know that energy and and restarting now almost like a like a patient who's had a <laughs> heart attack and you're like no uh, uh, doing the the talk no uh, that idea of uh, creating not only awareness of where we are but also you know what is it that we want to get out of this no that that question that I mentioned before as in you know are we the best team that we can be right that's that's a very powerful question that i that i think teams need to answer if they really want to no if they really want to improve if they really want to because if your answer is nah i think it's okay then that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be a challenge right like how do you how do you work with that no um and and it's very important but from the point of view also of assessing where people are um what kind of tools have you used in the past let's say in order to make that uh information available or more visible no to to a team and to uh, on to, to create that awareness now oh this is where we are right like this is uh this is what we need to improve or you know um could you could you tell a little bit about that I, I guess it's, a, it's something that you, you basically incorporate as a part of, well, assuming that you work in an agile-ish way and you have a structure like a retrospectives and stuff like that. So this is the, the point at which you, you, you can sort of probe and check, you know, sort of like health status or maturity status, if you will, of, of, of your team and see, you know, what's, what's actually happening. What's what's there? So you might look, you know, at this sort of like most common access, which is, you know, you, you, first of all, and I personally think it's one of the most important ones is what is this sort of like safety level within your team. So that's the first thing that you sort of like look at because this will impact everything else that goes after that. Uh, because if people don't feel like comfortable, don't feel safe to share their opinions and how things actually are, they will basically just say, everything is great, let's do this. And they'll even pretend to be quite enthusiastic if you suggest that you're going to shake things up and you know we're going to see some changes. And you know I have a plan and all of that, so we're great. And then they'll just do nothing. Uh, so I think it's, you know to establish this sort of like safety level first, like that's 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 the, that's the first thing. Then you you might look at stuff like you know how they perceive you know what is the structure sort of and the clarity of goals within the team. You might start probing around that as to see people you know do do you know who is who you know do you know who does what and when and where etc. Then you start going to that and then you sort of probe around different sort of axes like dependability can you depend on other people you know etc etc you know what's the meaning of work that we do do you think it's you know it does anything in it you know what's the impact of work so there are quite a few of them and and you will tailor it depending on the context in which you are. But I think universally, uh, safety goes first. Like how, how psychologically people are comfortable uh, to you know do things like take risk or share 
their opinions or sure, you know, situation in which they feel vulnerable and all of that. So I think this is universally older. And I think mature teams will have this pretty and sort of well-functioning teams as well. They will have this pretty well-developed and honestly developed. And, you know, the, the, the things that you said, Fran, you know, about honesty and all of that, I think they all sort of like stem from this. So they, they go from this sort of psychological safety. Can I add a couple of things about the, the things that I've done that it did work for me <laughs> in, that, in that case? Um, because it's how do you create that psychological safety? How, how that work? Because maybe you are in an organization that this is already a given and that's great. Nothing needs to be done. Yes, it's already there. But there's other places that it's not. Or there's something that doesn't feel that that psychological safety. So um, I'll just share a couple of things that I've done to to move to that place of the psychological safety. Um, when I arrived to a team, I firstly tried to uh, create the connections with each of the individual to a point that there's some trust at different levels, so just in the personal level, but also in the uh, professional level. Ooh, this guy knows what he's talking about. So that's, that is something that making that trust make easiest that you then can start to say things. So when you have created that, make a mistake and recognize publicly that mistake, it's like, ooh, and, and nothing happened. This guy make a mistake. He recognize it and it seems that it's okay. So we can move on. And then I like to, to use two tools that I used to do with teams. One is a, a retrospective that is, is uh, the, the superhero one. Basically, you create your own character of what's your superhero, what is your superpower. But also, you say, what is your kryptonite? So it's a way that you are saying, I'm really good on that. And also, yeah, that's my mess. And then what we do is we, we shuffle and share the cards. So then you add a second superpower to the other team member. So what you are doing is recognizing the superpower, other, adding another superpower, but also you are owning the kryptonite as a team because in the moment that you are aware of the other person kryptonite, now it's your responsibility as a team. And that's worked pretty good. And then the other tool that I used to, to use is the the skill matrix. So basically, we recognize the business areas and technical areas and everything. And each of the team members score themselves their knowledge on that area. So in the moment that you are scoring yourself, we use uh, um, 0, 1, uh, 2, 3, or 1, 2, 3, 4. It doesn't matter, but it's also uh, 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 even number. So you never can be in the middle. That is a, a really traditional Spanish thing to be always in the, in the middle. <laughs> and so now you are forced to not be in the middle. And in the moment that you, you show, well, actually, I have no clue about that business area. Now it's a team responsibility to make me grow in that area. So you feel less uh, um, uh, uncomfortable showing that you have weaknesses because now it's shared with the whole team and the whole team set as a goal that we need to improve each other on the different areas to reduce that risks and remove that weaknesses. So it's a way to feel comfortable 
saying I don't know things or I make mistakes because everyone is doing the same thing and now everything is open. So it's something that I've done in the past and it worked for me. So I, I, I try to do it with each team every time that I can. Yeah, I'd love to add a bit on on that. Um, in particular, because uh, it doesn't always have to be at a personal level, right? Like you could look at uh, at indicators for how the whole team is performing. And I'm thinking, you know, the uh, accelerate book, like, you know, uh, uh, lead time uh, and so on and so forth, right? Like you, you want to look more into that, but uh, you don't have to go at the personal level and one of the things that i like about using data even if it's not uh, even if, if it still has a, a perception a point of view now it's like this is how i feel about this particular topic now and i rate it you know one to ten or whatever is that it at least uh, opens up the conversation right like it's it's like okay um there may be topics that people don't want to talk about right and uh, by scoring a certain they they sort of become evident so then you know it's is our job as you know, facilitators or you know people who are trying to help the the team in that uh in that point you no know, to to draw attention to those things and sort of like okay let's let's discuss this like maybe you know what do we think could be the reason for for this to happen you no know? and and sort of trigger those conversations that maybe underneath the surface right because what happens is that if there's no trust like the conflict is still there all of those things are still there just people are not talking about it right they're not uh or they're not approaching it in a, in a constructive way right so um i like that uh also and there is there's also other uh other tools that i've seen people use more or less now like the whole personality thing uh you know either the disc assessment or you know the what's it called developing uh roles and so on right that would sort of like give you a bit more insight into who the people in the team are or how what they identify with no and at least start having some conversations uh, around that no what do, what do you think Jose, not spe not specifically around the assessments, but I did want to talk about how the organizational structure actually plays such an important role in in having people uh, being more open, right, and and encouraging a more feedback culture within the organization. So, if you have uh, you know imaginary barriers between uh, or or a lot of hierarchies in the organization that itself uh, makes things really difficult in terms of transparency around how each team member is feeling but if if you remove all those barriers and if you have a very very open culture let's say you do one-on-ones with everybody or let's say uh, you know people feel free to just pick up the phone and give you a call if they're feeling something uh giving people that sort of a comfort as well is is incredibly essential to um motivating people to open up it's interesting because you know we were talking about uh, about how you know high performance teams learn and evolve and that is that is part of at the you know that, that's at the core no of, of being at one uh and feedback is an super important part of that however we tend to suck at it no <laughs> in general no uh, uh and not only not only in in giving it 
no, uh, which you, you, know, you could be more or less, but also in asking for it. And what you were mentioning before, like creating a culture of feedback for me is more about a- people asking for it than training others to deliver it. No, in in a sense, what what do you think? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so people ask for feedback a lot, right? I mean, every time we do a one-on-one, the one thing we hear consistently is give me more feedback. And it's always a challenge for uh, the people giving feedback to come up with the right feedback. And, and right, by right, I don't just mean politically correct feedback. I mean honest, accurate feedback, which would help the person. So um, encouraging or creating that that structure or tool, actually, creating a tool which would enable us to capture feedback and uh, give it on a more frequent basis or, or on a higher frequency. I don't have an answer to that, and I'd love it if, if you guys do. Again, it's, it's just my opinion <laughs> based on what I've lived, right? <laughs> No, 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 but this is, is uh, well, I, I'm saying that when I, I, I'm saying something that maybe someone that is listening, well, yeah. Um, uh, Mac, you say since some moment in, we are working in an agile way or agile-ish way or, or something. Uh, and, and we are talking about context, and we are talking about feedback and everything. Um, in the last years, seeing that every time the majority of the value that usually add and uh, Scrum Master and Agile Coach or whatever, it trend to zero in the majority of the areas, except in one particular area that when we are doing it good is extremely great. That is to make that this feedback happen and make that this context happen. And basically, is the middle person that is facilitating all the conversations because we have a massive amount of problems in communication. We say something and the other person understands something totally different. Even when we provide the feedback, it's incredible the amount of problems that we have <laughs> to be in the same page and have this person that externally is listening both parts and is making that these two parts actually understand each other, actually are in the same page, actually are saying what they are trying to say and the other person understand what is trying to understand. <laughs> it's the same that the other person is trying to say and not uh, um, adding more noise in the middle. I think that is the most valuable thing that, that we are doing. And for me, the recipe is that till the team is mature enough and they know each other enough and they are really, really working for a long period that they are doing a million times, the best thing that we can do is to have someone that is 24-7 taking care that there's no this kind of mistakes in the communication, that is all the time helping to produce the feedback and to receive the feedback and, and checking that everything is, is going smooth and clarify all this, this, this mess. And uh, yeah. I, I would add on top of that uh, the uh, uh, one one note or one clarification, which is is not only this person's responsibility for that to happen. You know what I mean? Like they are enabling, they're facilitating, and I, I think their goal should be for you know 
the organization and the team that they're working with sort of like grows those skills and it's able to like do those things without an external influence because then you re- if if that's not happening then you risk you know the shift in the burden kind of pattern right where basically we have a an escape route no like it's not happening oh well it, you know the scrum master will come and and tell us no or the you know he's like oh it didn't happen because he was not here he was on holidays right that kind of stuff and and that is uh, uh, in my you know there are really good things about that uh, you know about growing that skill set and having someone whose focus is you know building that skill set but if done improperly no it could be very very detrimental to to how the team work because then it's it's a bit of like a like a a, a crouch no like that you're uh, like a crouch you 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 need it to be able to walk no and when it's not there it's like oh my god what's what's happening no yeah 100% and, and yeah i i didn't for uh, mention that this is the, the important part to develop that skill in the rest and but we need to 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 uh, I've seen that sometimes we are really focused in develop that skill, but still the playing is flying. Also, friend, do you think this is this is multiple people and not necessarily one person in a team? Because feedback comes at so many different levels, right? Right from two people pairing uh, while they're coding. So um, having a third person probably not necessarily a pairing coach but even someone to observe and and i've heard people also record their pairing sessions and just watch them again themselves to uh, get feedback for themselves about how they themselves can get better so um at each step of of how the team works together whether it's pairing or whether that's that's how they're doing their planning sessions or how they're even doing their retrospectives um having having this sort of a one person who gives them feedback about how they're doing would be an interesting idea to try out yeah as as anyone that is uh, always working with different teams and everything you have clashes and you don't have time to attend to, to all the places and you cannot be everywhere so but one thing that i say to my teams always my first recommendation when uh, something happens is like if if you don't see it clearly, if something goes wrong, is if you think that that comment you didn't get it totally, bring another person, whoever. Just bring another person to the conversation because just another pair of eyes, an external pair of eyes that says, "Ooh, actually, you said that, and this is, or you are trying the solution, but did you think about that?" Just whoever, <laughs> just bring someone that will help you for sure. If it's someone that has the right skill, it's even better. But in any case, just bring someone else. I, I also tend to recommend people no, the, to to test their assumptions. No, because the the yeah you, know, you were saying we were we have lots of communication problems, and one of them, or I would say the the biggest is like the illusion that it happened, right? Like the, that we did actually communicate and we did understand what the other person was saying, right? And a lot of the times we we go up in the in the ladder of inference, no? Like he said this, and this thinking this, and that you know, and this is because of that, and and we make our own assessment of the situation conclusions and everything and then act on that when in reality there is a lot of information missing there is a lot of you know logic that we are applying that may be mistaken no um so a good way to to 
provide that from an individual point of view, I think is, you know, just test your assumptions. Let me just, you know, let me see if I understood what you're trying to tell me, right? Is it this, this, and this? Is and then the other person has an opportunity to say, oh, yes, that's exactly what I meant, or no, no, precisely, you're missing this thing out. And then you you sort of like engage in that dialogue where you clarify those assumptions and, and build on top of that, uh, which I, I think, you know, creating that habit is already a, a good way to work towards the the, the culture you know, of, of feedback and all of that, right? Rochelle, I, I think there is this uh, idea that you were uh, mentioning. I don't know if you want to explain that a little bit more. You, you mentioned, you know, uh, Incuba being like a big team and then having, you know, smaller teams within that. That's a very, I think, very interesting idea because you want the organization to be behaving as one team, you know, as, as in the beginning we mentioned, oh, goal and, you know, everyone contributing and so on, right? So if you could tell us a bit more about that. Right. So yeah, team topologies is something that we we constantly think of every single day in in, uh, in our business, right? Because Incubite being a services organization, what we do is we build smaller teams for our clients. And these teams work directly with the client. So while Incubite is one large team, we have many smaller teams within this large team. Um, and how each of these teams is, is structured is is very, very dependent on how the client works and what that project really is. Um, so you don't have kind of simple rules which you can follow to build each team in terms of the, the team structure and the team topology, but you kind of cater it to how, uh, how the client works, uh, what the project involves. Um, and the, and the trickiest part, once you've structured your team, is also how do you work cohesively with your client, but also preserve that core culture that you personally believe in or that, that the company Incubite believes in, right? So um, that's where the team topology kind of becomes, becomes critical. And the feedback culture that we were talking about previously also becomes critical to kind of you know, reset and come back and, and make sure that you're all uh, thinking alike and continue to think alike while you're these individual, almost each team almost is like an individual person or an individual personality on its own. Yeah, and, and it's not, I don't think it's only for service companies and eh? like, uh, like in Kuwait, I think this also happens internally in product companies. You end up with, you know, these subcultures within the, the culture of the organization. You end up with, you know, uh, uh, say different ways of working and having to, and, and having these teams having to interact with the, you know, between them, right? And that definitely has an impact on the work or the outcome, uh, not only overall, but also uh, of the, the each individual team, right? And uh, I'm guessing, uh, Frank, as an engineer manager, they, this is something that comes up often, right? Like before you were talking about coordination and you were talking about other things, like, I, I guess this is a part of, of that, you know, bread and butter, let's say. Yeah, and uh, it depends of, uh, I think it depends a lot of, uh... Again, the context. What are the the what we are trying to achieve, and the kind of composition that you have in the teams. And uh, I, I want to, to go a bit deeper in something that you mentioned, that is the specialities, and having that team that has specialities or that team of specialists doing something. And 
the other day I was thinking about that, about uh, if, so if it's, an, if it's an specialty and this special, by definition is a special, it's because something that you don't do so often because it's a special, then you don't need that many people doing it because it's a special, it's something that will happen not that often. But if you are doing it a lot, maybe you don't need to have a specialist. You what you need is to have a lot of people doing that, <laughs> because then it's is a, a really often thing, and that's happened with uh, what's happened with QA, what's happened with DevOps, DevOps, what's happened with all these specialities. They said no, maybe it's, it's, it's something that it should be done by everyone in the team in having the T people in a more or less. Uh, deep uh, uh, level, but maybe we don't need that kind of a specialist, and we don't need to have that group of uh, is supporting other teams doing something. Do we really need that? Is or oh, sorry, I'm 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 expressing myself really really bad, poorly. Uh, but the point that I'm trying to make is: is your organization do you really need that kind of a structure? Do you really need? that kind of complexity. We are talking about uh, um, SRE that came from Google and Amazon. Yeah, that's great. Are you Google or Amazon? Do you need that level of complexity? Maybe not. Maybe you need to have a totally different structure. That, that's a very good point. Yes, and Fran, you're making complete sense, actually. And, and having specialties probably ends up creating silos within the organization, right? Where you're handing over work from one specialty team to another specialty team. And then there's just finger pointing around who's responsible for the big mess that got created and nobody's owning up to it. So absolutely agree that that's where team topology has become critical to making sure your product is released successfully, is built the right way and is is owned by the team as opposed to these individual silos. And, and with the team topologies, one thing that I've seen a couple of times is that ooh, we have the, the four times of uh, teams and that's the level of relations. So how can I identify these four teams in my organization? And I said, yeah, maybe you don't need to have the four type of teams. Maybe you don't need to have that kind of relation. Maybe you only have a an extreme aligned team, and that's all, because you're not that big. <laughs> it's the only thing that you have. You don't have that complicated system. Maybe you need to have teams that are covering to simplify that complicated system instead of dedicate one team for that. You know, that one of the feelings I have with the team topologies, that is, I think that is great, the analysis of the, the time of team that you have, is that sometimes, we try to fit our organization to the tool that we are using to analyze it. And that's overcomplicate instead of simplified. That if, for, for me, is one of the, simp uh, the principles that we should look for. No, it, and you, you're right. I, I guess if I had to express it with my, with my own words, it's like a lot of times people are copying the solution instead of copying the question, right? And this is, you're talking about team topologies and, you know, for those who don't, there is the this book also that talks a little bit and goes in depth into into some of these topics. Uh, we'll most likely link it as part of the, you know, the materials and stuff for the podcast. But, um, but it also happens with, I don't know, the Spotify model, 
right? Where people are, oh, we need chapters, we need this, we need that, and this is how we're going to be structured. And now, you know, everything will go well. Well, you need to look at it as what is it that, you know, Spotify was trying to solve in the first place with that organization? And also, did, did it accomplish it? No, and and what were what was the context in which that you know uh, happened and so on, right? So uh, that's that's a very good point. Like if you are thinking about this, you need to look at your context. You need to understand what it is that your organization needs and what your teams need, and then start building from there. There might you know it could be that yes, I mean something like Spotify or whatever will will help you. Um, but if not, you need to understand that also and try to find your own solution to it. You no, know? and I think that's that's also an important part of you know a, a great teams that they're able to learn. They're able to okay, let's instead of maybe discussing for you know who knows how many days how we're going to do this. Let's try something out. Let's get some empiric uh, you know value out of it and, and feedback, and then build on top of that once we know more about what we need. Right. And this happens all the time. It happens when organizations are growing. This happens when, you know, systems are, and teams are growing. So uh, it, it is a very common, uh, common problem. Huh? So before we before we finish, um, I wanted to uh, ask, you know, a, a, a question around, you know, for someone who is thinking about this, right? Like someone who is maybe a, a leading a team uh, or someone who's got some kind of, let's say, managerial uh, uh, position and is, in, you know, responsible for certain areas or whatever. Uh, what would you recommend? What, what would be, you know, the, the, your, tip or advice let's say for someone who's trying to deal with this issue and trying to help uh, you know the organization and their teams to grow and be you know the best i think it it would feed back to what fran was saying like we've seen topologies and everything it's it's patterns are just that patterns so it's it's also the skill of how to use and apply those patterns so so i think one thing would be to remember that those things are patterns and they they try to solve usually very specific problem, um, and the question, and, and and it's important to answer what sort of problem do you have, and what's what is your end goal with your team, and you know, work around that rather than trying to squeeze something that you have into a specific pattern, because you know, more often than not, it's not going to work. You try to put you know a circle into square, and it's it's just it's it's, it's not going to work like that. Uh, and also, to, you know, it's, it's from the point of view, most likely the person who already has some people on board. And I, I think it would be to appreciate the diversity of people and what they actually really are. And, and start with that and not try not to have, you know, like follow something blindly and just say, I'm going to make this into that. Uh, because changing people, changing organization, changing people is next to impossible. Changing how they communicate with each other, etc. I, I don't believe you can change people. Like to some degree, you can, you know, like you can shift them ever so slightly, but to change them, uh, it's not going to work. And I appreciate how different they are, and and understand their differences as well. And if you want to apply the patterns, you know, see what elements you have, see 
from the variety of different things that you can use, see what you could possibly use with what you have, and then see if this at all makes sense. And otherwise, just be smart and be intelligent and observant. It's usually enough and be sensitive to what people do and what, what is happening, what's required. Tools are tools. Yeah, and to summarize what Max said, maybe in one sentence, it might it might mean to recognize the fact that you're working with humans, right? And, and each human is different and treat that person differently. Um, so while you're working with humans, systems can only do so much, but uh, recognizing each human as an individual themselves and helping them kind of navigate their way into your culture uh, might be a good good place to start. Um, if if you are a manager and you're you're kind of still hiring, then find someone who already embodies that culture who can come into your organization. You know that's always a nice way to uh, bring in that change. Um, and of course, if you're starting from a blank slate, then as Fran said, picking the right people. Okay, I just want to add a couple of things. Uh, I'm totally with uh, what Mark say about the pattern. Hopefully, uh, I would love to have someday um, Google's problems or Spotify problems. I, I will sign that right now. <laughs> but, yeah, so it's identify what's your situation. But I think that it's extremely important to focus in culture and what you want for your organization. And, your team or whatever. So you have to, I think that you need to have a vision of what you are trying to achieve culturally. And uh, also, I'm, I'm partially agree with Mac that people cannot change or change. I think that there's behaviors that can be changed and also people are con in, conti in continuous evolution and changing, but probably the effort to make someone become something that is not right now, but is what you need or want, is so high that it's not worth it. And uh, I will include in the topic the be ready to have to make tough decisions and be ready the to, nuclear option. Mm, <laughs> yeah, no, but to, to also to have difficult conversations, to be aware and make aware that that person you are not the right organization for that person. And it will be better in a different place. Or also to change some of the things that for organization, even if it's your dream, what you will love, that will never happen with the things that you have right now. So you need to, to put down your expectations. So be ready to, to make tough decisions about that. And, uh, and yeah, I think that in some moment, to have in mind that, yeah, that's the investment that I can or I'm ready to do is enough. And, and then if I cannot do more investment, then I need to uh, leave people go or I need to change my dream or I need to change how operates the organization. But yeah, tough decisions are always there and we try to avoid it a lot and we shouldn't. I, I would add... Uh to that that you should also not underestimate the impact that you can have like doesn't matter if it's you uh, a manager you a technical lead you just you know also another developer in the team right uh, because uh, uh, sometimes you you can influence 
people a lot uh, without even without even knowing, right? And uh, everyone's got you know their area where they can influence. No, uh, some things you can change. So you can change the way that you particularly work, and you can influence others to to change and so on. And and I feel that's the, I would say the first step. One of the things when when we were doing you know team coaching and transformation, all the things we always did a survey about you know uh, with a couple of questions. There were things like you know I think my organization needs to change. I think you know uh, uh, there are teams in my organization that need to change. I think my team needs to change, and I think I need to change. Now, so the, like different levels of the uh, of the thing, and usually. People thought that you know everyone else needed to change, <laughs> but they shouldn't change. Right? Like everything is like uh, everything is fine on this side. It's everyone else that needs to change, and I feel that's a that's a you know it's a false belief, no, and a limiting uh, belief uh, in in a way because there is a lot that you can do, right? And you you need to be also taking that first step. Right, and if you're already moving in that direction, that's that's going to work well for you. Whether in the end you realize that's not the company where you want to be, or you know, or you end up, you know, helping your team move forward, or the organization recognizes that and, and sort of like it spreads beyond, uh, you know, your area of influence. Now you're getting the support, but it all started with someone saying. I'm going to do things a little bit different, no? And and I feel that's something that is very much uh, uh, understated, no? Or, or um, yeah, undervalued. I'm, I'm a, <laughs> a really stoic person, stoic thinker. And uh, all, the, all the steps that you mentioned, all the different levels, what the company should change, what my team should change. That's all of this is great. There's all the things that I have zero control. I only have control or what I do. Exactly. I cannot control if you say, oh, Fran, you are so annoying. I cannot control that. I can control how I react to what you say. So it's always a start from us and the influence, it comes from us. And we have a, a certain influence that we need to be aware of the influence that we have. But also we cannot feel frustrated because we don't influence to some people because our influence is also limited. I, it doesn't matter what I do, that I cannot change you if you don't want it to, or if you don't want to react to that change. It doesn't matter what I say. So I think that, that we need to be aware of our power, but we need to be also conscious of our limitations and, and not uh, put too much weight of others' behaviors. Okay. So uh, before we go, I, I would like to uh, ask you, um, are there any resources or anything like that that you would like to recommend to people who want to dig a, a bit deeper into this topic or maybe some of the things that we've mentioned? Uh, um, anything that comes to mind? Jose, I think you've already mentioned the Team Topologies book, which is which is a fantastic read and talks a lot about uh, about teams and you know good functioning teams. Um, so that one for sure. I would add, but I need to find it out. It's it's about how to do qualitative research. 
So I think it's, it's generally quite quite relevant across the board and how to how to gather this data and how to set up certain experiments. We, by the end of the day, like at the agile environment is a basically an experiment environment is what we do. We get feedback and we use it again. Feedback, password. Uh, but yeah, I, I would I would definitely. But I, I, will, I will add it to the links underneath the podcast later on. But definitely something around design of qualitative research is valuable. They, they, they're usually are textbook like thingies for social sciences. But for me, it's been always immensely helpful. I I will. Uh recommend uh also i can put the, the links later a couple of books about uh sport coach the uh like there's one about uh arsene Wenger, another of uh, pep guardiola and another one about phil jackson and his uh, work with the uh, bulls and lakers and everything and, and how they make that teams that i think that is really interesting and also i strongly recommend for everyone to play tabletop role-playing games. <laughs> You're one of <laughs> I think, I don't know about Richelli, but uh, I think Magic also plays uh, role-playing games. I play role-playing games. You know, because I, I think that this is extremely valuable to think what is a thing, how you can help and uh, suffer together and do things and have internal fights but have a, a common goal and and it's a great learning to, to work with other people and to realize how can you help and how other people help so and that's that's my five cents uh, very, very good, I, I completely support that contribution <laughs> uh, <laughs> I would also add the the NASA's. Uh, I think it's is their Mars mission when they actually running constant experiments. What sort of builds? What sort of teams to build to to be able to sustain a really long, possibly one way journey? And they actually have like several bases when they people ha- when they have people in confinement, and they observe them all the time and see how they cope. And just sort of like prolonged exposure to like space-like environments, so I, I would definitely add that to the list. And also, sort of like Google's pattern for successful teams when they sort of like go through those, you know top five axes that I mentioned earlier, which was safety, dependability, structure, uh, meaning, and impact of work. Yeah, I also have a couple of recommendations there. On you know, there's these leading teams book by uh, Richard Hackman, uh, which also has a lot of uh, research uh, put into that. And uh, I would say also picking up some coaching stuff uh, and feedback related stuff. I know that the feedback. Uh, I like the thank you for the feedback book. Um, it's not not bad. Um, and also another recommendation would be the uh, Smart Leaders, uh, Smarter Teams book, I think by Roger Schwartz, I think, um, which also goes into a lot of the things like, you know, feedback. We did, we talked a little bit about feedback, but it goes a bit more into, you know, the kind of mechanics behind it and also what kind of mindset you will need in order to get a, a team to to actually learn together and to evolve together uh, beyond, you know, that adversarial kind of approach. Uh, 
um, it's a it's a it's an interesting book, and also it, it talks a lot about the impact of leadership, which is something that we sort of skip through really fast because most likely we'll be preparing uh, one uh, dedicated to uh, to that. So um, so maybe you'll you can expect an invitation uh, to to be part of that also, right? Um, thank you very much, everyone, for uh, for being here and for your time. Uh, it's been you know for me at least super super interesting. Uh, I hope you you had a great time and uh, see you all uh, in the next episode. Thank you so much, Jose. Hey guys, always a pleasure. Fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thank you.